Hello, and welcome to the Project on the Rocks podcast, where we bring you stories from the Project and Agile community, as well as inspirational learnings from leaders in the space. Firstly, thank you so much for jumping on. Yeah, my pleasure, Chris. We've spoken a few times over the last month and met a couple of times as well. Um, we've also, I, can't, I guess, shared some stories to some extent around how bloody difficult it is to hire, and, and I guess that was the reason that we connected in the first place, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very interesting market at the it moment, is. to say the it least. Is. It is. It's almost, it's supposed to be a recruiter's dream when there's no candidates and everybody wants to hire, but it's not as easy as we all pretend that it is. What I'm really keen to do um, is to do a little bit of an icebreaker with you. Fantastic. Shoot for it. This is just something daft, really, but it gives the listeners and also myself uh, a bit of an opportunity to, to get to know you outside of uh, your you and your profession, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go for it. So quick fire. You don't have to think about these too hard. Um, <laughs> best job you've ever had? Uh, this one. Is it? Yeah. People keep saying that, man. I, is it true? Actually, it is, yeah. Uh, the amount of learning and challenges that I've had along the way and then professional development, yeah, it's been good fun. Then again, I'm, I'm early on in my career, so maybe there's still better to come, but at the, yeah, at the moment, all right. it's pretty good. That's good. Um, flip side then, worst job you've ever had? Oh, uh, working at Domino's for a terrible manager. Mm. As in the pizza chain? Yes. Free pizza or no? Uh, sometimes. But McDonald's gives you more free stuff. <laughs> oh, is that right? Both bad, though. You don't want too much of either. Yeah. Um, all right. No limits to your imagination. What would your dream job be? Oh, in theory, traveling the world playing hockey. But I don't know whether it would actually be that fun when you go through then all the organizational travel details and different yeah. bookings and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the theory of it sounds really attractive. All right, that's a good one. Um, favorite band or musician? Ooh, uh, I have quite a variety in taste in music, mm-hmm. but if I was to put it down to the best live act, I would definitely say Muse. I've seen them in concert at least five times. Have you? That's just Starting. outrageous, their shows, aren't it? Oh, absolutely. And that started back when uh, the big day out was actually still a thing in, in oh, yeah. the coast. So, yeah, I've seen them many times. Brilliant. I um, I remember getting the Origin of Symmetry album when I was about 10 oh, years yeah. old. And that was the, the, the year that I got my first electric guitar as well. So I was just mad for them. Yeah. And then Brilliant their band. live shows are just another level. Yeah, they are. Um, okay, cool. Uh, what are you currently watching on Netflix? Ah, oh, this is probably embarrassing, but re-watching Friends again. Friends, oh, no. <laughs> How many times have you watched it? Uh, you always count because you kind of just jump in at different points of time. If it's not Netflix, then have you been paying attention on Channel 10? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, um, I do that with The American Office. I've watched that God knows how many times. Yep. I've re-watched... Have you been? Uh, no, uh, How I Met Your Mother, Scrubs, Big Bang Theory, quite a few times. Oh, so. uh, yeah, they're easy to jump into, aren't they? Yeah, you're picking up a bit of a theme on sitcoms. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the next holiday you want to book? I guess you guys haven't had it as bad up there, have you, in the lockdown, but I'm sure no, you still want to get away. Very fortunate in Queensland. Uh, gosh. 
Next holiday is probably realistically either going to be Sunshine Coast or Gold Coast, but going to a Pacific island would be quite nice. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Like Fiji, Vanuatu, that would, that would be cool. Lovely. Um, what? Oh, what's the number one present on your Christmas list? And oh. I ask you that. I know it's November, but this will probably go out in December, so it'll be thematic. Better, better start thinking now. Uh, gosh. You stumped me there. I'm not sure of a best right. that I can think of. There you go. Well, that's a nice position to be in. You don't want for much. Yeah, I probably just want practical things like clothes. Yeah, fair enough. Or maybe you could get the Friends series on Blu-ray. Uh, no, here, that's that's underneath the stairs and DVD. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, beer or wine? Beer. Any any particular it. brand? Oh, uh, style. Uh, I, I drink lager, so I'm different to all the, the the hippies or yuppies or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. IPAs or XPAs. Yeah. That's my crew. Uh, yeah, just a standard lager is good for me. Good on you. Um, and in a, in a movie about your life, who which actor would play you? Oh. David Schwimmer, Matthew Perry. <laughs> Come on, range is a little bit bigger than that. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, I'm just going to say Leonardo DiCaprio purely because one of my favorite movies is Catch Me If You Can't and, and oh, yeah. I think about right now. He's top class, isn't he? Yep. He's class. So one thing we like to do then on the podcast is yep. talk about the person, right? And pe- people are interested in people's stories, people's Absolutely. positions, how you get there, the challenges. And so I guess a, a good starting point is kind of your story and, and how you got to where you are now. And I guess that will tie yeah. you nicely with the story of Elaborate. And I know you guys have just celebrated your fifth birthday, which is incredibly exciting. So, you know, keen to kind of dive into that journey, really, to getting from, you know, day one through to celebrating your fifth birthday and, and being at the helm, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So my career started in completely different realm to what I'm doing now. I say completely different. I wasn't in a management role. I started as a business analyst, uh, working predominantly on agile projects and then took on roles like whether you call it the iteration manager or scrum master. So I started my career here in Brisbane, then relocated to Melbourne to join Elaborate in 2013. I consulted at a variety of organizations in in those roles, uh, so either on uh, digital transformation projects or agile transformations. And then in late 2016, I was moving back to Brisbane and with talking it through with the directors at Elaborate, decided that we would start an Elaborate office uh, in Brisbane, that I would explore whether it was possible or not. Uh, and that's effectively been my gig for the last five years. So obviously it's been successful in that we're still here today. So it started in a dual capacity of trying to start up the business, but also uh, do some consulting work as well. Uh, so my first, uh, my last, or my first consulting gig in Brisbane, but last consulting gig ever was as an iteration manager. Uh, and effectively, I've been leading the Queensland office ever since. So now my, my formal role is the group manager for Queensland for Elaborate. Uh, we're an agile management consultancy. So we work with organisations on either their agile transformations, their capability uplift or helping execute on a variety of projects using agile. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, where we are today, we've got 30 people in the Queensland office that I, that I lead. My role is quite broad in that it, it's everything from strategy development as working part of the management team for Elaborate through to then strategy execution and then anything and everything to do with operations. So business development, account management, people leadership, recruitment, which is part of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, then to simple admin things as well. So cool. anything and everything to get the job done. And so was that was that quite a risky move for you then to move up there and, and to embark on the journey of setting up essentially a, a new business in a new location? Yes and no. Uh, risky in that I had no idea what my runway was uh, before the company would say, hey, sorry, Ryan's not working out. Fortunately, we never have had to have that conversation because it worked out very well. Yeah. Uh, but far less risky than trying to do it uh, as a startup and, and being a founder yourself. So I was very fortunate that the three directors were backing me to give it a go and give me a chance at starting up the Brisbane office. And obviously it's worked out very well for all of us. That's brilliant. So 30, so you've grown to 30 people in five years. I feel like that's, that's kind of good, steady growth. Um, yes. And I'm sure you will have, you've faced a lot of challenges in getting there. One of which is recruiting, <laughs> the, yeah. the, of course, yeah. And the other is retention, right? It's two Absolutely. majorly important factors. So when you start, when you started that part of the journey, had you actually been responsible for hiring people before? Or was that going to, was that a, an entirely new thing for you? I've been involved in interviews. So part of what is great about Elaborate in, in terms of how we hire is that uh, the consultants, which I was as part of the time when I was working in Melbourne, are part of the process mm-hmm. because we want the, well, the experts in their own field to select people who are also going to be experts to work with them but also to decide, would I want to work with this person? So when I was consulting in Melbourne, I was involved in a number of different interviews and and would provide my recommendation on whether I thought someone was a fit or not. Mm -hmm. But I was never responsible for the actual hiring decision at the end of the day, whereas in starting up the Queensland office, that's when I took on that responsibility. Uh, And, yeah, certainly the first couple of uh, I would say actually no the the first hire was a nervous one because yeah you want to make it the right decision and particularly when you're in such early stage you're like oh is this going to be the the right person to work with me uh but once you get over that and realize that actually you're just going to well fortunately grow from there and you want a, a complement of people with kind of different strengths uh, different things that they uh, focus on or different ways of thinking, then it becomes a much easier decision. So then you're looking for people that are going to represent, elaborate well, they fit in our culture, but they also bring something to the table in terms of yeah. whether it's a new skill set, some new knowledge or something that's going to grow our culture, uh, then it yeah, becomes a lot easier. Yeah, that's good. Uh, until we face the current market where now it's a challenge to find the right people and attract them to your organization compared to the many other options that they have. It is, which is why you now have to spend your time on podcasts with recruiters. Apparently. You've got to get, you've got, you've got to get creative, man. You have. I've got to get the name out there. That's right. You have. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so you're at, you're at 30 people now. What's, what's next? I mean, is there, is there more growth forecasted? Yeah, well, the interesting thing about the market is that every organisation has different ambitions at the moment. So part of what makes us successful is what 
our, our clients wanting to do as part of their growth ambitions. And uh, COVID's been an interesting accelerator for a lot of organisations. So it's either been realising how important digital services or digital products are to their business, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if they had either a brick and mortar retail front or a physical interaction like a, a bank or, you know, as a government service, you can only fill in a paper-based form. When none of us were able to, to be in person together, if you had that gap in terms of a digital offering or service, uh, it meant that you couldn't operate as an organisation. So that's certainly been accelerated for a lot of organisations to realise the importance of uh, digital as part of their, their strategy. But then also it's created a lot of opportunities as well. The, the pivot to remote working or hybrid working part offers part uh, on, online, wherever you are, has opened up a lot of opportunities. And so there's a number of organisations trying to take advantage of that. And so that's accelerated maybe some of their longer-term strategic objectives into realising that they can capitalise at the moment if they're the first one to market or, or quicker to the market. So that's having a compounding effect on the whole market that everyone has that sort of driver, which is leading to high demand for our services to support them in their in their journey on that, whether it's uh, improving the way of working so they can be more productive with the people that they have or helping them deliver uh, a, a digital transformation. And then we're also got the flip side of it where you have a constrained Mark in terms of people available because we've had the borders shut and so now we're in a, in a very interesting space where there's not enough people for the amount of work. So in terms of uh, answering your original question of our ambitions, it's to be able to support our clients with their their growth ambitions and therefore we're going to grow with that. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, have you got kind of figures and targets in mind or are you happy for that to be organic to an extent whereby <laughs> you'll grow as the needs grow? I think any organisation, particularly uh, a consulting organisation, is going to have figures and targets and all that kind of thing. So absolutely, and, and they're quite ambitious for for this year. But that that makes it a good challenge as well. So. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. Um, and so the flip side of this, and it's probably something that organisations actually aren't talking about enough. In in uh, certainly that's the way I'm finding things at the moment is the retention piece. So you've got thirty you've got thirty people now. And the reality of it is they're good people. They will no doubt be getting phone calls from, you know, oh, my peers um, and also your competitors, no doubt. So how, how do you ensure that the guys that you've got, you know, within the business are engaged and stick and, and want to be there? Yeah, that's definitely been a challenge for 2021. And I think a hangover effect from last year as well. So uh, traditionally, we've had really good retention levels and culture within the Queensland office. Uh, so we, we started it uh, in terms of thinking like a startup. Everyone was involved in the journey. Everyone had their own part to play. Everyone was very hands-on. And then with COVID happening, we couldn't meet face-to-face. And so where you would normally have that time where you'd have social catch-ups just to uh, hang out with everyone on the team and get to know them better for anyone that's new, you then had to learn how to do that in an online setting, which was challenging in itself. And we had some it's of the really team hard. that were, absolutely, and we had some of the team that were onboarded completely remotely. And 
it wasn't as good of an experience because you just lost out on that uh, kind of human interaction on me. Yeah, it's really tough. So there's a lot of benefit um, working remotely, but you do lose out on on some of that relationship building side, which you can only get in person. Yeah, for sure. So did you do... um did you have kind of creative online socials to keep everybody connected and together? Yeah, I think we did with most organizations did is uh, we probably went over the top yeah. with that in terms of, you know, like in the peak of COVID in, in 2020, when a lot of organizations were fearing the worst. And so went hyper daily updates with the entire company on what's happening, how things are going, what's the outlook looking like and then realizing that uh, people were suffering from zoom fatigue as well and so yeah. we yeah. in, oh, let's have a virtual coffee event um attendance started to dwindle mm-hmm. uh, including myself i wasn't interested in it because i was like I'm, I'm over having video yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we found people started getting like webinar fatigue and whatnot as well. We, we tried to absolutely. take a lot of our events online and it was really successful and they were always going to be, you know, we, we always kind of managed to get a good number of people turning up to our events, but we did see towards the end of lockdown that was starting to taper off and people just, were sick of it. you know, they, they just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, that's um, right. And so I think that had a buildup effect uh, as well as then uh, towards the end of last financial year. So June, June this year. Hmm. There was a lot of delivery pressure at multiple organisations where they're trying to play and catch up and they went slow during COVID. And so that unfortunately had a negative impact on our culture. And so we did have some retention issues there. But what we've been working on for the last, I'd say, six months is rebuilding our culture and can happily say in hindsight now or, or where we are today that we, I think we've done a really good job of rebuilding our culture. That's great. Uh, we're still going to have the ongoing challenge of retention, but the fact that we've we've worked as an entire team to rebuild that and have multiple strategies to, to get that point and then have data to, to back up to say that we have made a dramatic improvement uh, is certainly helping us for what could be uh, happening in 2022. Where That's brilliant. Everyone's talking about the great resignation, which yeah, I keep hearing it. Yeah. I'm dubious as well. It's all a lot of bollocks. There's, it's just one of the, it's the latest buzzword, isn't it? Yeah, it's already happening. Like everyone's talking about it's going to be this big major event uh, next year. But I say, like we we certainly went through some of those challenges earlier this year where we did Mm -hmm. meet some people and we had to focus on our culture and then focus on retention. So fortunately, we've done a lot of hard work to be able to do do that. um, Hopefully, it's setting us up for success in 2022. But this kind of big event happening, yeah, I'm... I'm a bit dubious about no, it. I, I'm dubious well, yeah. as well. And the thing is, we've got, you know, the, the international borders are going to be opening. So there is right. going to be a bit of a refresh of the talent pool that we've had access to over the last 12 or 18 months. And that's going to change things significantly as well. Yeah, that's um, right. And the thing for us to be mindful of as well as with borders opening up, it might mean that people uh, who were intending on relocating from Australia to move somewhere else might do that. So I guess that's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right. One of the pros and cons of it. But it sounds like you've... Um, You've kind of looked inward during that period of time, which I think a lot of the best organisations have done um, yeah. and sort of de- decided who you want to be, you know, next year and, and the following years. And we, we yeah. were part of that as well. I, I, um, I don't know if I told you when we when we first started chatting, but Precision Sourcing, we're a, a four-day-a-week business on paper. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so we, we work Monday to Thursday. Every weekend is a long weekend. Um, yeah. Technically, I mean, I'm, I'm still 
work in most Fridays in some capacity and you know we kind of we naturally have clients that we need to support and you know we're conscious that we still want to deliver outcomes but yeah if you can manage your week effectively and appropriately then in theory every weekend is a long weekend and that's been that was something that was kind of forced on us during COVID and that we went down to to four days with four days pay because yep. we needed to and we needed to be defensive um yep. But what we realized is that in doing that, and I, I don't want to put ideas on the table for all your guys to come banging on your door on Monday morning, but um, effectively we found that productivity went up and um, and so we didn't want to we didn't want to change and we, we've kept that, that four-day week model. It's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, uh, it would certainly be a challenge to implement it in, in consulting spheres. But, I'm sure, uh, yeah, I'm sure. And look, to be honest, when, when we were implementing it, it you know, in the, within the recruitment industry, it's just, it just seemed like absolute madness. Um, but things evolve and, and organizations change and we're actually yeah. now starting to hear whispers and mutterings of other organizations wanting to trial this sort of thing as well. So you never know. Yeah. Someone always has to be the first. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, some of our listenership, um, I say listenership, there's probably about 12 people who listen to the, the podcast currently, um, but we're very good at marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think a lot of the people that we work with or certainly that I work with, are in that kind of traditional project services realm whereby, like yourself, they're coming from a business analyst or maybe a, a project management background and they want to move into being a scrum master or, or being a coach. Um, you've done that. So what advice would you give to those people who want to transition and want to step into this these, these, yeah. these types of roles? Yeah, sure. So I'd start off with saying it's, it's not going to be an overnight thing. And particularly in the current society, I think there's too much wanting of instant gratification. And that's something I've been learning as part of this role is that things do take time. Mm. And, and so particularly with a career move as well is that it takes time. But if you have the end goal in mind and you're taking the steps to get there, then I, I think it'll be possible. Uh, I wouldn't suggest trying to uh, just completely jump into a into a new role because there is the opportunity in the current market because you could be setting yourself up for failing mm. uh, and you could be impacting other people particularly if uh, you're taking on a scrum master role where you're leading a, a team or multiple teams or you're taking on a coach where you're influencing their way of working um, you might unintentionally be providing the wrong advice or or leading the wrong, wrong way so Absolutely, yeah i have to have that conversation with people quite regularly who you know mm. just are and have been a business analyst and all of a sudden they're just looking for coaching roles and, I, and I, I actually find it quite difficult to articulate when is the right time to to kind of make that distinction and make that move yeah you got any any thoughts on that absolutely so I think it's good to have the goal in mind and then working out okay well what are the steps that I need to take so if you're currently a business analyst in organization I'd be looking for are there other people that are currently doing that role as a scrum master or an agile coach? Mm. And so if that's the case, then that might mean that you've got that possibility of making it a sideways step when appropriate in your organization. So that gives you a, a nice kind of landing into the, into the role. So then uh, one way of doing it could be reaching out to those people and asking them to mentor you uh, into, into progressing to that. Uh, if you, your organization has, whether you call it a community practice or a guild or, or, or a tribe where it is, the, the scrum masters meeting together or the agile coaches meeting together or just the, the agile people meeting together, getting actively involved in that and kind of showing interest and putting a hand out to help in those communities would be a really good way. Uh, and obviously then if there is that 
possibility of moving inside your organization than having those uh, career discussions with your leader and mm. saying, you know, how can we work out a mutually agreeable time that we could transition into this? Um, and then are you willing to uh, provide professional development or is their organization willing to provide professional development for me to, to make that step? So yeah. looking at the different uh, either online courses that you could be doing at your own self-pace or doing a, a traditional, uh, like say, a two-day course to get the initial knowledge. Uh, say getting the two-day certification as a Scrum Master is, is certainly a good start, but it's definitely not going to set you up for success to jump straight into the role. No. But I think it gives you the baseline knowledge, which is really good, so then you know what the, either the framework is uh, talking about or what good looks like, and then it's about getting the practical uh, experience to get there. So uh, if you're in even more fortunate position to be working you know, side by side with a Scrum Master, if you're a business analyst or project manager, then starting to ask them, hey, you know, uh, could I run the next retrospective and get some advice from you on how to do that? And then yeah. I give it a go and then you can give me feedback on how I di uh, did that. So I think thinking about the, the steps that you can take to get there rather than just trying to jump straight into it is going to set you up for success and you're going to have a much more uh, enjoyable time in that new role rather than yeah. um, feeling like uh, you don't know what you're doing or you've got imposter syndrome or, uh, yeah, you're unintentionally doing the wrong thing by other people. That makes sense. So I guess the, the most natural thing or maybe the first part of calling for people is to to try and work within the organization that they're already in and to get the step up and to get the development opportunity as opposed yeah, to going out into the market and saying this is now what I want to be. Yeah, and I suppose if if there aren't those uh, options within your organization, then I'd be looking to the community. Uh, so finding someone in the community. So there's various agile meetups in uh, all the major cities in Australia starting there and seeing uh, if you can get involved just by either attending uh, some of those meetups or even better if you reached out to someone and say, hey, you know, I'd love to have a chat to you about your, your role and get to know you. And, uh, you know, if it looks like it's going to be mutually beneficial, then ask, you know, being brave enough to ask them to, to mentor you as well. That's amazing uh, advice. And I, I find that the community overall is very open to that sort of thing. It, it feels like a very connected network to me. Yeah, I think it, it's just part of our, both our mindset and our values that we want to share knowledge and we want to help others out, which is part of why we take on these roles because we want to either lead the teams as a scrum master mm -hmm. or we want to provide advice and, and, and coaching to either teams or leaders as part of their agile transformation. So I think it's just uh, of that people of that particular mindset just really want to help others and yeah, so that's right. they'd be more than welcome to to give you their time to to help you on your career transition definitely and i must admit even from a, a recruiter's perspective it, it it's for me it's the perfect market to work in you know because i get to yeah. speak to people like you and, and other people in the space every day you know and i kind of feel as though i'm immersed in it to some extent yeah that's right which is nice um so look going back we, i know we were kind of touching on the journey and the you know the hiring of 30 people and and the, no doubt there'll be hiring that will be coming as well um what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced when you were hiring um kind of what were they how did you overcome them and what did you learn yeah so i would say in the early days of the queensland office part of what i realized and i actually came up to brisbane 
multiple times before the official launch is mm. that I quickly realized that there was very limited brand awareness of Elaborate in Brisbane. And it was understandable because Elaborate hadn't operated in Brisbane. The major agile meetups and conferences were generally run out of Sydney and Melbourne where we did have offices. So part of my initial focus was to create that brand awareness. Uh, so that was actively getting in the local meetup uh, uh, scene. So Agile Brisbane, as an example, I became a co-organizer of that. I organized multiple talks there. We helped launch uh, Lean Coffee in Brisbane as well through Agile Brisbane. So that certainly got the word of mouth out there about Elaborate. And Brilliant. so then that played uh, out very well for me because that then connected with the people that would be interested in Elaborate. So initially it was creating the brand awareness in order to attract people. And then once we got going, uh, it kind of just snowballed from there because we put such a heavy emphasis on getting the brand out there in the early days of the, the Brisbane office through meetups and through conferences, whether that was through spanking at them or sponsorship as well. Uh, and then just word of mouth or when we start to work with clients and they saw the quality of our people uh, from the ones that, early ones that we did hire, it kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah, yeah. So that was the early challenges. Yeah, it's, that, you, you know what? I feel like you've attacked that perfectly. So bizarrely, I um, I've only really just started to understand the power and the importance of LinkedIn. And as a recruiter, yeah. I'm just so far behind. Like all, all the, yeah, like you mentioned, the, the meetups are brilliant. I find that LinkedIn is probably the most important tool that I've got in my arsenal right now in terms of being able yeah. to interact with, because the, we've all got access to job seekers yes. because pe- they're, they're being proactive and they're, they're looking for roles and they're replying and they're speaking to me and they're speaking to you. But it's those Correct. other people who are, I guess we call them dormant, uh, dormant talent, who are the yeah. ones that you probably really want and other ones who are the most difficult to engage in. So you do have to think about creative ways to to somehow get your brand, get your your role in front of those people and, and engage them and excite them. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so that, that the power of the networking piece, even though you were doing that, you know, physically with coffees and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I think I, I feel like that's the perfect way to start. Oh, that that's right because although there's a lot of benefit of doing in-person events, and we're talking about thing and like the focus five years ago you've got unlimited reach depending on how you approach things in an online world. So that kind of can have an amplifying effect of the work that you do in person. And so now in a post-COVID world where we're starting to consider in-person events, but everything's been online, yeah, LinkedIn is certainly that way that you can amplify your brand and get your name out there. But now everyone's realised that, so then it's thinking about, okay, how do I... Uh, understand LinkedIn more effectively in terms yeah. of you know how do I post and what's the way that I need to construct my post so that you're working with the LinkedIn algorithm to actually get reach. Otherwise, uh, it can work against you and your, Absolutely, your yeah. doesn't get to anyone. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. So I, I know I was joking before about having 12 listeners, but you're right. The reach, the reach of LinkedIn is huge. And so when you post, you're able to see how many views any particular post has received in in the feed, and it's it's in its tens yeah, of thousands right. most days for for you know uh, uh, just even just a written post. So things like podcasts and videos, and if you look back at the post that you done for the the business's fifth birthday, yes. I mean that the amount of comments and likes that were, were going on that was was nuts. I was tracking it; it was incredible. <laughs> so that's the yeah, sort of thing, right? 
and I'd have to look at back at how many people viewed it. But uh, hopefully through doing this webinar, uh, this uh, podcast together, we can get maybe 15 listeners, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely <laughs> add <laughs> We're adding listeners for sure. Um, yeah, brilliant. All right. So look, again, we kind of talk about aspiring coaches or even people in the space who are just really passionate about you know particular elements of scrum frameworks or agility whatever it may be and i know you've you've got a bit of a passion piece as well and this is kind of perfect because what what you kind of wanted to bring to the table isn't something that i know much about um, yeah, sure. you know and, and as a recruiter often my um my understanding of the specifics and the detail of these things is limited and you know yeah. that, that kind of it serves its purpose for the most part but i'm going to be able to ask you questions around this as yeah. somebody who doesn't understand and hopefully i'll be representing some of the, the listeners when I do that. Um, so the, the thing you wanted to talk about was OKRs, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So objectives and key results for anyone that isn't familiar with the framework uh, or with the acronym, but effectively it's a goal setting framework that organizations use and we've been using it at Elaborate for the last two years. And it's a really nice way of linking strategy through to execution. So understanding what your organization is trying to achieve from a uh, strategic objective and then linking it to, okay, what do we need to focus on sometimes down to the next the next uh, 90 days, the next quarter, and breaking that down in terms of here's what we want to achieve as the objective, and then the key results are more your specific measurable things that link to that objective. Uh, so no, a lot of people will ask, well, isn't that just KPIs? Uh, That's kind of what I was going to ask. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and they're similar but different, and I'd say in sometimes actually complementary. So KPIs are your typical, this is what our business needs to achieve in order to be healthy. Uh, so more operational focused. And what you'll find in a number of organisations is that you have incentives linked to KPIs as well. So keep the business healthy, therefore we'll reward you for keep, uh, keeping the business healthy. Whereas uh, objectives and key results are a lot less individual focused than KPIs and less about keeping the business healthy. And it's more about helping the business grow. Could you... So um, Sorry, could you provide an example of, a, of an OKR versus a KPI? Yeah, sure. So uh, KPI might be uh, a specific revenue target or a specific headcount target, whereas, uh, and, and that's in order to, to continue to operate well as an organisation and, and be healthy, whereas a objective and key result might be thinking about okay what do we need to do that would help us to make that headcount growth in a more uh, creative way so think okay I was uh, generally tied back to something that's going to create behavior change or step change within your right. organization and so in that fact they're more aspirational uh, in nature to help you strive for that as opposed to this is just what I need to hit uh, right. in order to keep this running. Is it measurable in the same way? Yes. So the objective part is more like a standard, uh, here's a goal, you know, like this is what we want to achieve, but not with any specific like dates or numbers or times. So it might be, 
thinking of an example, uh, I'll, I'll use the apps. So we, our highest priority uh, objective is key result, which links back to the, the turnaround and culture that I was talking about, is to be a healthy, uh, a healthy and happy and growing Queensland team. So there's nothing quantitative in that whatsoever, but underneath objectives sit key results, and that's where the quantitative part comes in. So right. for us, uh, a specific key result was we wanted to increase our uh, team engagement score to greater than 80%. And uh, we also then had a wellness-related key result, so we wanted to also increase our wellness to being more than 80% positive. Right. Uh, and it Probably we're being a bit tough on ourselves, but uh, what we consider to be a low baseline. And so for us, our top priority was if we can be actively engaged in the organisation and the work we're doing and we're feeling happy and healthy, everything else is going to flow from that. So business yeah. results, growth, headcount, all that kind of stuff will happen because we're in a good space, we love the work that we're doing and we're uh, working in a good work-life balance. And that ties back to your attention as well, right? Absolutely, and hence why it's been the, the top priority for us for this financial year, and, and that's what's helped us to, I think, start to do the right things to help improve retention. So yeah. we're probably coming off a uh, couple of rocky months, but we can see all the positive signs moving forward. That's brilliant. And so is, is the OKR piece, is that a kind of, is that newer way of thinking? Is that something that's only just starting to kind of come into the mainstream of late? Yeah, I'd say within Australia, it's it's the last few years it's starting to become more mainstream. But funnily enough, it, it, as a goal-setting framework, it dates back to I think it's either the 70s or 80s. So it was actually oh, yeah, it's actually invented at Intel, uh, I believe, or one of those large organisations. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the US, uh, Google's fairly famous for using OKR. So, and, and again, the, the reason it was created was trying to think about, okay, how can we move from having strictly those KPIs, which are, this is what I need to operate into more. How do I create step change or behavioral change that's linked to our strategy to change the organization? Right. And so, I mean, would you have a kind of comfortable number of OKRs that you should have in play at any given time? Is there like a limit to what you should be striving for or how does that work? It's a, it's a good question because I think each team will generally try to do too much to start off with. And then mm. each team, depending on their, uh, their makeup, will understand what's the right balance for them. So we've certainly had times where we've had uh, five objectives within uh, you know, four or five key results underneath that. So then you're working on 20 things at once and realise that we we're setting ourselves up for failure. Uh, so then over time, we've realised that less is more. Particularly mm -hmm. uh, for us working in a consulting organisation, we're effectively uh, the equivalent of a matrix structure within organisations where you might have people in a centralized team, but they're working off in different projects. Well, for us, that's we work for Elaborate as our uh, as our company and as our home base, but ever, all the consultants are working with different clients. Yes. We've got different uh, focuses for people at any point in time. And so generally your client or your project is your major focus. So your time and attention and capacity for uh OKRs contributing to the organization is far less. So what we've realized is that if we have less and we just focus on that as a team, 
Uh, and we realized that it's not just one individual's efforts, is that if we, we share the load between maybe a few people are focused on one particular uh, objective or one particular key result, we're going to be much more successful. So that's good. Uh, rule of three is always a nice one yeah. uh, in anything. Uh, so I think we've landed on uh, two to three objectives and then underneath that two to three uh, key results as well. Yeah, cool. And so how, how have you embedded this into the business? Was that, was that a, a kind of slow change or was that something where you were just like, right, here we are, this is what we do now, this is what we're about? Yeah, so interestingly, uh, our Queensland office, we were the first to trial it, mm. uh, although I think the wheels were already in motion for us to do it as an organisation. So as like I was saying, we've been using uh, objections and key results for the last two years now. Uh, with varying uh, degrees of success, but I'd say over the time we've matured our, our approach and say uh, particularly how we're currently operating is is the best that we have. We've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Uh, so now it is embedded in uh, how we develop our strategy for the financial year. So we start with the management team uh, over a number of sessions forming what our what our strategy is, and then how do we translate that strategy into action through OKRs. Uh, so we'll uh, define as a management team what the objectives are for the year, what the key results are for the year, and define that um, together. And then uh, one thing that we did differently this year that was uh, has been very successful so far is then using what is known as impact maps against each of the key results to understand what are the key activities and who needs to do those against each key result uh, and even to the point of then planning out, okay, what, when do these key activities need to happen throughout the financial year? So is it yeah. in the first quarter or is it in the fourth quarter and work out the dependency mapping? So then we as a management team basically knew over the next 12 months, this was the sequence of events that is hopefully going to lead to us being successful and achieving our objectives. Uh, and then each state underneath that is defining their own objectives and key results that support the company level strategy uh, and then we've both got year-long ones as well as quarterly ones that give us the yeah, right. each quarter so you've you've clearly got massive vision for the business and you know you're working hard on on executing against that yeah that's right you um you must have i'm going to ask you if you have a strong sort of leadership philosophy or some you know and it might be hard to articulate it might not be something you've thought about Ooh. and put into words but what, what do you think are the fundamentals of, of why? Well, firstly, your leadership philosophy, and then secondly, how that's impacted the business. Mm, so I think one thing that OKRs uh, enable or provide is transparency, and I think that's certainly been a leadership philosophy mm. for not just myself, but at Elaborate, we've always been transparent. So the fact that we share, here's the full strategy, here's the full objectives and key results here's even the uh, impact maps that we you know so show the working that we did and here's then the sequence of activities for the year uh, to show everyone this is how we're trying to achieve our strategy and then you know we can lead by example with explaining what the strategy is and this this is what, what your role is to play all throughout the financial year uh, has suddenly uh, set us up for success What's been really beneficial for us over the last couple of quarters is then having active buy-in from uh, not just the company management team, but the next layer down mm. uh, in terms of the, the, the local leadership teams. And so having them actively involved in 
understanding what the strategy is, uh, in part defining what the objectives and key results are for each quarter meant that uh, we now have champions for each of the objectives and each of the key results. And so that's certainly creating a lot more, um, I suppose, traction for us as opposed to it's a seen as a top-down, this is just what they are, okay, you need to align this and think that I'm going to hit that. So There's a very important distinction there, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. I think that's where OKRs uh, are much more successful and differentiate themselves from KPIs. So generally KPIs are top-down, whereas where the real power of OKRs when done well is that it's a collaborative process. And so it's the people that are going to be executing on those OKRs actually understanding, okay, what's my role to play in executing on that strategy and therefore defining here's what the objective is, here's the key results that we're going to measure ourselves by. So then they've gone through the process of understanding that and then go, okay, now I can just jump into the execution mode. You don't have, you know, lose a month of trying to communicate what it is and everyone's still working. Uh, What was that thing that you told us about a week ago? I can't find that document. (laughs) Yeah, and you still yeah. have that challenge in a, in a matrix organization, but when you have certainly that level of buy-in uh, from your leadership team in the involvement of uh, OKRs, I think that's going to set you up for success. kind of feel like yeah. we would benefit, and I say we, I mean, Precision would benefit from from implementing this sort of thing. And, and perhaps we have got sim, you know, a similar sort of thing in play, but maybe we haven't defined it as clearly. Um, but it's, it's certainly something we can look at. Yeah, I think the biggest benefit that we've seen across the company from implementing OKRs is creating alignment. So previously, when we didn't have OKRs, everyone would be working to their own drum and everyone has their own little strategy and every own little thing that they're trying to achieve. Whereas starting with, here's the company uh, objectives, here's how each different group or function aligns to that, or it might be different department or different division aligns to that, and then you're actually talking about, okay, I need you to help me out with this and you need me to help me out with that. And yes, I was planning for that. No, I wasn't planning for that. Okay, let's have a chat about that. Yes. Um, that that creates a lot more alignment and what, everyone working towards the same thing as opposed to everyone running in different directions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so looking forward again then, you know, we, we've talked about the growth of the business and, and how you intend to do that and the fundamentals that you've now got, you've, you've looked internally. You know the business i think will grow and it's it it'll be organic it'll Absolutely. be thoughtful um what do you see as being the next thing in the agility space what are you hearing on your client sites what are they talking about what have they got an appetite for mm, so i think it depends on where you are in australia or even broad reaching the world so mm-hmm. what i've certainly noticed having had the experience of working in uh Brisbane and then Melbourne, but I also get visibility into what's happening in Sydney, is that each region is at different uh, stages of what you might call the change adoption curve uh, and where Agile fits into that. So some have gone through multiple stages of Agile transformations in their city. Melbourne's a good example of that. You have uh, the likes of seekingrealestate.com or any of the online brands that were leading the way 10 odd years ago and so they are far more mature and therefore more agile in how they uh, operate their businesses now Hmm. and we had the wave a few years ago where ANZ and Telstra were very public about their new ways of working as well so for Melbourne it's now 
almost what is beyond agile to your point of your yeah. question. And it's more about okay, how do we optimize the team uh, that we're teams that we're working with? Uh, how do we look at different metrics uh, that help us optimize that? And so uh, there's this concept called flow, which is basically how does work go through the teams in order to get uh, value to whoever your customer might be. Mm. So, you know, IT team as well, how do we get working software out to our customers more quickly? Uh, Flow-based metrics are looking at, okay, well, what are all the steps in the process and what's the lead time on that and how do we become uh, quicker at that? So how do we become basically more effective with the people that we have and therefore become more productive? Whereas what I'm noticing in Brisbane is we're not quite at that point in that there's still organisations that are uh, using traditional governance uh, structures and processes. And so... Even in Sydney as well. You know, I'm I'm working with organisations who are literally like day one on their agile transformation, like first generation. That's definitely the case still in Brisbane. And and we do have a small subset that are as mature, if not more mature than some organisations in Mm. Melbourne. Um, but I think, yeah, each region is going to go through their own life cycle and journey. So um, uh, what's been really beneficial to me is I continue to look at, okay, what's happening in Melbourne and then I can plan ahead for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a good opportunity for you. It sounds like you kind of you started the business in Brisbane at the right time and as, as things were starting to mature there and you've kind of been on that journey with a lot of your clients, no doubt. Absolutely. Mate, that's brilliant. You've, you've provided so much insight. On a range of topics there, um, yeah, super interesting, man. It's dead nice to. I know we we've met a couple of times, but it's we've always had an agenda of sorts, and I feel like today we've just been able to shoot the breeze a little bit and have a bit of a yeah, chat, good which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, mate, look, thanks again. It's I know you know a bit of prep, a bit of time invested in this. Um, really appreciate you jumping on, and um, I'll keep you in the loop with how I'm going with the edit. I think it'll be pretty yeah. easy. You're very articulate. As long as I haven't interrupted you too many times, we should be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it should be okay.